Welcome to the Alger Podcast. Following the podcast, there will be a brief disclosure. Hello, I'm Alex Bernstein, and you're listening to the Alger Podcast, investing in growth and change. During the COVID era, and more recently with the advent of generative AI, investors have seen technologies evolve rapidly, and in some cases, seemingly overnight. One such technology is point-of-sale systems, and here to talk with me about that today is Alger Senior Analyst for the Consumer Staples Sector, Daryl Onow. Daryl, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Alex. Daryl, just to get started, when we talk about point-of-sale systems, what are we talking about? I think the way to look at a point-of-sale system, or what we'll call a POS, it's a combination of both hardware and software that is essentially the modern version of yesterday's cash register. Today's systems, they're much more advanced. Of course, they perform the basic functionality of accepting payments, whether it's cash or electronic payments, but they also can collect and track valuable data that helps a clothing store operate their loyalty program. It can help a restaurant track the reservations, or it can help a bike shop manage its inventory. We've moved beyond just payments to a system where you're integrating your business operations with payments and bundling that together. And I would think that the type of system necessary depends on the scale and size of that business. Exactly. You know, if we start with a restaurant example, a food truck really just needs to take payments. And since no one actually seems to pay with cash anymore, it's crucial that you can accept electronic payments. If we go to a coffee shop, here we have a situation where there's a lot of menu items for them to track. You have to process orders and the payments very quickly to keep the line moving because the last thing you want is a backlog of people waiting to pay and waiting for their product. And then we move to something like a fine dining restaurant where it's much more complex. Here they have to manage not only the table seating and the turnover of the tables, their menus are constantly changing, so their system needs to reflect that. And on top of that, you probably have on some of the larger restaurants, you know, 10 to 20 employees per shift who are touching this POS system. So it does need to be intuitive and easy for employees to use. For the most part, what we see today is, is POS systems are generally focused on certain areas of the market rather than trying to be a universal solution. So almost every business can find multiple options to meet their needs today. And you've seen quite a lot of technological advancements with point-of-sale systems. I think the key development has been the evolution to cloud-based systems that allows all this data that's being collected across your operations and your payments and your customer information. And that can be accessed easily, again, as I said before, in one place. Historically, that type of data access has only been available in expensive enterprise-grade hardware systems. And today, if you look at the hardware, yes, you still need it in, in most cases, but it can come in a much more flexible format, such as the iPad tablet or just a handheld device. You've had the ability to accept payments through a mobile phone for years, but you used to have to plug in a dongle into the headphone jack and it was a little bit clunky. Today, there are systems out there that allow you to simply tap your credit card against a phone or even bump two phones together to make that payment. So I think that mobility is really opening up the ability of small businesses to accept payments in dynamic environments as opposed to be in a fixed structure within a store. Now that we can look back with some perspective, COVID had quite an impact on POS systems as well. Isn't that right? 
I think there's a few things to point out just in terms of what did COVID drive. And the first, I think it's an overused term, but I think omnichannel commerce is here to stay. COVID drove us to order a meal online and either have it delivered or pick it up at the restaurant. Or now when I'm starting to look for new shoes, I might start the search on the online website of the company, but then I actually want to go into the store to make sure that the fit is right. These POS systems need to have the capability to manage that online and in-store interaction, which is important. The last thing you want, too, is for your inventory system to say you have the shoe in stock and then it ends up someone had ordered it online in your size and took the last one and you show up in the store and you're disappointed. Which has happened to me, by the way, numerous times. The other thing I would point out is the digitization of cash and contactless interactions has accelerated. You'll see today that you can go to a restaurant that doesn't have any physical menus and you can scan a QR code to pull up the menu on your phone. And after you've ordered, then you pay, you can scan another QR code, you enter your payment credentials or maybe it's stored in a digital wallet and then you're done and you walk out the door. So there's no need to wait for the wait staff to take your card, go back to the terminal, disappear for a while, come back at some point. This way you can control that. And it also allows restaurants or stores in general to be more efficient because there's more of that self-service aspect. The employee can have wider coverage within that store. And again, the key here is that POS systems need to have the flexibility to handle these types of interactions. Daryl, I wanted to ask, there have also been some perceived downsides for the consumer with these advancements. And here I'm talking about the recent evolution in tipping. Alex, I'm sure you and I have experienced similar situations where we're walking in to a coffee shop, we're going to pay, the barista turns around the tablet for us to click on a number to tip, and usually the tip prompts are ridiculous numbers from 15 to 35%. So you have people standing behind you and you're embarrassed, like, oh, I don't really want to tip 35% and my service was bad. But there is that social pressure that can come with these systems. It is good for the employees, but it could have a negative impact on the consumer experience. So that's something to consider. And perhaps we're biased because we're in New York City and we see it much more often, but I'm sure that's been going on around the country. So this is a more customized experience, but it's not necessarily an improved customized experience, at least for the consumer. Exactly, because the merchant can control what tip levels to display. And usually the no tip button is sort of hidden <laughs> within the screen. So you need to be searching for that. The, the other point I would make too is that where it's a negative, that actually creates friction in the checkout process. So it does slow down the line because you're sitting there. Most of the card companies have eliminated the need for signatures on lower ticket items. Many of these POS systems are under the pretense of, oh, we need your signature, but they really just want to prompt for the tips and use that as an excuse. Daryl, you've been tracking some of these companies for quite a while now. Who do you like in this space and why? I think there's one particular pioneer company that essentially brought the ability to accept payments to small and micro businesses. I think they really changed the industry and were able to do that. And I believe we spoke about this in our prior podcast, but historically, if you wanted to accept payments, you'd have to go to your bank, submit an application. They would look at it, say, oh, we don't like your credit. We don't like the riskiness of your business. And it'd be very difficult for you to do that. 
This particular pioneer was able to figure out a risk-mitigated way to onboard and offer payments to new merchants. And they have gradually evolved from the micro-merchant to small and mid-sized businesses and are starting to get even more into enterprise. So I think that's been a very good success story. That particular business is more of what we call a horizontal solution, so that can be applied to different industries. There is a strong competitor focused on small and mid-sized restaurants that I would like to call out as well. I think they've done a great job of expanding their product suite. I'm sure when you walk into many stores, you'll recognize the terminal when you tap your card or your phone to pay, but there's much more going on behind the scenes for the merchant. This particular player offers products such as working capital loans. Let's say you need new equipment. Well, they know what your daily sales have been over the last six months or year, so they have a good gauge of what the risk is in offering you a loan. And as I've said before, getting credit for small businesses isn't very easy, especially from large banks. So this is this is a effective way where the POS company knows the customer and is willing to extend credit at a fairly hefty rate, but still providing available capital. Other products include payroll management. You have some products that manage your accounts payable, so knowing what bills are due, when they're due, but they can do it all through that POS system and even do some menu costing. So we can look through your database and see how much you paid. You can add up all the items for the steak dinner special and recognize that, oh, it's costing us $15, we're selling it for $17, we should probably raise the price. Tips management, (laughs) not only the customer tips that we talked about earlier, but also at the end of the night, splitting up the tips effectively between the employees, employee scheduling. So I think this particular company has done a good job in building this product suite and their goal is obviously to have more customers take on more products. And the availability of point of sale systems now enables essentially anyone to become an entrepreneur. If I'm an Etsy creator, suddenly I'm completely enabled. Exactly. The onboarding process is very quick. And the example that you gave is a good one. And it does go back to that omni-channel theme that I talked about earlier. You could be an online business and then decide that you're going to go to a flea market or a pop-up shop and have that flexibility to have a physical presence as well and have those, the online and the physical, be able to connect with each other. Daryl, of course, we hear about generative AI every day now. Do you see AI impacting this industry? Alex, that's a great question. I would say that the biggest benefit of the POS systems today is their increasing collection of data. So the merchant knows who's coming into their store, how often. They also know what are the most popular items being purchased. So the data is being built. The next step, of course, is to figure out how to use that data. I'd say at this point, the use of AI for this industry is still in its infancy, but I wouldn't be surprised if momentum starts to build over the next year. Daryl, final question. With robust systems like POS, do we ever see cash go away? I think cash does not go away. I think think, uh, we'll continue to see digital payments eat away, but it's going to be very difficult for the government to ban cash. And it'll be very difficult for companies to say, we don't accept cash. There are certain instances where that's occurring today and they're getting a lot of government pushback, whether it's from municipalities or states on doing that. Because I know you've talked about financial inclusion in some of your other topics. By banning cash, that would be financial exclusion. 
Daryl, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Alex. Great talking to you. And thank you for listening. For more information on investing in innovation and for more of our latest insights, please visit alger.com. The views expressed to the views of Fred Alger Management, LLC, FM, and its affiliates as of June 2023. These views are subject to change at any time, may not represent the views of all portfolio management teams. These views should not be interpreted as a guarantee of the future performance of the markets, any security, or any funds managed by FAM. These views are not meant to provide investment advice and should not be considered a recommendation to purchase or sell securities. Holdings and sector allocations are subject to change. Important information for U.S. investors. This material must be accompanied by the most recent fund fact sheets if used in connection with the sale of mutual fund and ETF shares. Fred Alger & Company LLC serves as distributor of the Alger Mutual Funds. Important information for UK and EU investors. This material is directed at investment professionals and qualified investors as defined by MIFID FCA regulations. It is for information purposes only and has been prepared and is made available for the benefit of investors. This material does not constitute an offer or solicitation to any person in any jurisdiction in which it is not authorized or permitted or to anyone who would be an unlawful recipient and is only intended for use by original recipients and addressees. The original recipient is solely responsible for any actions and further distributing this material and should be satisfied in doing so that there is no breach of local legislation or regulation. Certain products may be subject to restrictions with regards to certain persons or in certain countries under national regulations applicable to such persons or countries. Alger Management Limited, Company House Number 8634056, domiciled at 78 Brook Street, London, W1K5EF, UK, is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority for the distribution of regulated financial products and services. Services. FAM and or Weatherby Capital LLC U.S. Registered Investment Advisors serve as sub-portfolio manager to financial products distributed by Alger Management Limited. Alger Group Holdings LLC, parent company of FAM, and Alger Management Limited, FAM, and Fred Alger & Company LLC are not authorized persons for the purposes of the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000 of the United Kingdom, FSMA, and this material has not been approved by an authorized person for the purposes of Section 212B of the FSMA. Important information for investors in Israel. This material is provided in Israel only to investors of the type listed in the first schedule of the Securities Law, 1968, the Securities Law, and the Regulation of Investment Advice, Investment Marketing, and Investment Portfolio Management Law, 1995. The fund units will not be sold to investors who are not of the type listed in the first schedule of the Securities Law. Risk Disclosures Investing in the stock market involves certain risks, including the potential loss of principal. Growth stocks may be more volatile than other stocks as their prices tend to be higher in relation to their company's earnings and may be more sensitive to market political and economic developments. Local, regional, or global events such as war, acts of terrorism, the spread of infectious illness, or other public health issues, recessions, or other events could have a significant impact on investments. Technology companies may be significantly affected by competition, innovation, regulation, and product obsolescence and may be more volatile than the securities of other companies. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. The following positions represented the noted percentages of Alger's firm-wide assets as of March 31, 2023. Apple, Inc., 4.50%. Fred Alger Company, LLC, 100 Pearl Street, New York, New York, 1004-800-223-3810, alger.com.